Greetings, friends and brethren. Today I'd like to talk about the future King of the North. Many people have heard the term the King of the North. It comes to the book of Daniel, chapter 11. Some people believe that because there were certain historical fulfillments of Daniel, chapter 11, that there is no future King of the North. Others believe that there is a future King of the North, and there's arguments on whether the future King is shown to exist in earlier verses, later verses, who this King happens to be. But also, I believe, and one thing I'd like to try to cover today, is that Satan has a plan to confuse people so they won't recognize the King of the North when the King of the North arises. So those are some of the things I want to go into. First, though, I'd like to actually read something from the late Herbert W. Armstrong, because he had looked into some things related to this subject in the past. And I'm reading from uh, something that was taught in his day. This is from his correspondence course. It says, at least part of Daniel 11 must be dual. And no wonder we find the chapter concludes with the time of the end, verse 40, leading up to the resurrection of the saints in chapter 12, verse 2. So a lot of people know that there have been historical fulfillments of lot of Daniel chapter 11. And most likely there's a future fulfillment beginning somewhere around verse 20 or verse 21. And I'm going to go into that the, uh, but I'd like to quote some things from Herbert Armstrong, as I mentioned before. He said, for example, the indication is that the armies of the beast of Revelation 17 entering Jerusalem will stop the daily sacrifice and the abomination that makes desolate set up. What is this abomination? This refers to Daniel 11.31 and Matthew 24.15. From this time, Daniel 12.11 to Christ's coming will be 1,290 days. So we see that he's saying there's going to be fulfillment starting in verse uh, 31. And somewhere else, by the way, he also said it starts in verse 21. Now, the time is going to come, according to the Bible, when people, if you go to Amos, for example, chapter 8, verse 12, it says, they shall, and this time I'm going to read from the Old King James Version. Most of the time I'm going to bring it from the New King James Version. But I'd like to mention this particular scripture because later we're going to get into this more. The Bible warns in Amos chapter 8 verse 12, And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro, and seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Now this is going to happen sometime in the Daniel 11 sequence, probably around verse 33. We'll get to that. Now, the fact is that right now, people throughout the entire world can learn the Word of God. Most people have Bibles, and as far as having it explained to them from a Church of God perspective, the Internet reaches all over the world. In the Continuing Church of God, for example, we've had people visit our sites from at least 225 nations and territories, which is pretty much just about all of them. So the reality is that currently people can learn about Christ's Gospel of the Kingdom. They can learn the Word of the Lord. And the fact that in the Amos it says that's going to stop suggests that somehow somebody's going to stop it and this is going to affect people's ability probably to get on the internet. Now getting back to the King of the North itself, I'd like to read one thing from Herbert Armstrong before I go into too much more of this. And this is what he wrote in 1967 in the Plain Truth magazine, June of 1967, for those of you who want to look this up. In Daniel 11.21, referring in original, typical fulfillment to Antiochus Epiphanes, there shall stand up a vile person. So what Herbert Armstrong was saying, and other 
theologians who've uh, looked into this, many of them believe that Daniel chapter 11, verse 21 was at least partially fulfilled by someone by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. But Herbert Armstrong continued, he said, quote, So once again, before the second coming of Christ, a vile leader will stop the daily sacrifices being offered. The same prophecy spoken by Jesus is also reported by Luke, chapter 21, verses 20 through 24. So he felt, he, that's Herbert Armstrong, felt that there'd be some fulfillment, future fulfillment of Daniel chapter 11, starting around verse 21. And I do think that's the case. Now this same vile leader is also mentioned in the book of Daniel chapter 8. So if you take your Bibles, we'll go to Daniel chapter 8 before we get into all the ones on the king of the north in Daniel chapter 11. So Daniel chapter 8, starting in verse 19, says, and he said, Look, I'm making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation at the appointed time the end shall be. So I want to go here first to explain to you that there's an explanation about things that are going to happen at the appointed time of the end. Now let's go down to verse 23. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. He shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. And the vision of the evening and mornings which was told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. So we see that Daniel was told he had a prophecy, it's for the appointed time of the end, and the appointed time of the end is for the future, far into the future. And this idea that this happens when the transgressors have reached their fullness suggests it's going to come in a time when there's increasing immorality in the world in places including the United States. And we're seeing increased acceptance of things that were considered immoral by the majority 20, 30, 40 years ago now are considered actually uh, acceptable, sadly, by uh, Anglo societies in general. Now, I believe that Daniel chapter 11 has a dual fulfillment starting in verse 21. However, from verse 21 to 26, this seems to sort of parallel other portions of Daniel chapter 11. And I'm going to get to that um, as, as we go through this. But what's interesting is I have a book about from a Catholic priest, a modern book, that basically says, oh, all this Daniel 11 stuff, it's all been fulfilled, and it's all done. And it has an imprimatur on it, which means it's got official approval to be uh, printed. However, if modern Catholics read this, they may not realize that that's actually a change from their historical position. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean, what's their historical position? Well, their historical position would be positions that some of their earlier leaders took on this particular subject. And why is this important to know? It's important to know because what we're talking about is, is there a future king of the north or not? Certain modern Catholic writers say, no, there's not. Certain modern Protestant writers suggest that there's not. Yet we in the Church of God says there is. And we also believe that you'll find writers throughout history that support our position. The first one I'd like to talk about is a Catholic saint and doctor, Jerome. 
Now, Jerome uh, wrote in the late 4th and early 5th century, and I'm going to read this, and he actually starts quoting from Daniel chapter 11, verse 22. And this is whatever translation he uses. You can follow along in your Bible if you wish. And there shall stand in his place one despised, and the kingly honor shall not be given to him. He shall come privately, and shall obtain the kingdom by fraud. So he's saying someone's going to rise up, use deceitful words, just like the one we read about in Daniel chapter 8. And the arms of the fighter shall overcome before his face, and shall be broken, and the prince of the covenant as well. And after friendly advances, he will deal deceitfully with him. So we've got somebody who's going to pretend he's peaceful and he's nice, but he's going to be deceitful. And he shall go up and shall overcome with a small people. And he shall enter into rich and prosperous cities, like, for example, the U.S. ones, the Anglo ones, and shall do things which his fathers never did, nor his fathers' fathers. He shall scatter their spoil and their booty and their wealth, and shall undertake plots against the best fortified cities, and shall thus continue for a time. So that's a translation of what Jerome was quoting, uh, some version of the Bible, of Daniel chapter 11. And Jerome writes, Up to this point, the historical order has been followed. So Jerome is saying, okay, up till chapter, verse 22 or 24 in Daniel chapter 11, uh, we were talking about historical things, for example, like Antiochus Epiphanes and some of the other leaders. But then, then he writes, but those of our persuasion, that means people who agree with Jerome, believe all these things are spoken prophetically of the Antichrist whose arise in the end time, the King of the North. Well, he does confuse the Antichrist with the King of the North. The Antichrist is actually not the beast. The Antichrist is a religious leader. Uh, that, we'll discuss that in more depth in another sermon. Uh, but he's saying that it's the King of the North is the one who's going to do these things. And he's correct. And he's also correct that this is going to happen in the future. And it hasn't happened yet. Furthermore, Jerome also talks about Daniel chapter 11, starting in verse 27. And I'd like to read again what he has here from his translation. And the heart of the two kings, that's the kings of the north and the kings of the south, shall be to do evil. They will speak falsehood at one table. In other words, when they get together, they're going to lie to each other. They're going to make a deal, but neither one of them is really sincere about it. And they shall not prosper, because as yet the end is unto another time. And he, that's the king of the north, shall return into his land with much riches. So Jerome says, There is no doubt but what Antiochus, that's Antiochus Epiphanes, I was talking about him before, did conclude a peace with Ptolemy, and ate the same table with him, and devised plots against him, and yet without attaining any success thereby, since he did not obtain his kingdom, but was driven out by Ptolemy's soldiers. But it cannot be proved for the set of facts that this statement of Scripture was ever fulfilled in past history, namely, that there were two kings whose heart were deceitful and who afflicted evil upon each other. Actually, Ptolemy was a mere child of tender years, and was taken in by Antiochus' fraud. How then could he have plotted evil against him? Again, Jerome continues. And so our party insists that all these things refer to the Antichrist and to the king of Egypt, whom he has for the first time overcome. Now, I'd like to make a couple of comments there. First of all, he's calling the Antichrist. He's talking about the king of the north. 
and he calls him the king of Egypt here, but in other, later on in Jerome's writings, he says the king of Egypt, the king of the south. So he considers that the king of the south will be based in Egypt, and maybe the king of the south will be Egyptian, maybe not. But in the Church of God, historically what we've said is the king of the south is going to be somebody who represents the nations in northern Africa, uh, the Arab Peninsula, and the Middle East. And that's consistent with Jerome saying it's the king of Egypt, because Egypt is going to support the king of the south, whether the king of the south is Egyptian or not. Now, the specific word translated as the end, uh, Strong's it's concordance, which is Strong's number 4150, in Daniel uh, 11, verse 27, is the same as in verse 45, when the king of the north comes to his fi final end. And the fact is that we know that this is a reference to the final time of the end. Again, I mentioned in uh, Daniel chapter 8 that it was also for the future. Now, prior to be called the king of the north, this particular leader is called a prince in Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. And this prince is going to confirm some type of a covenant, some type of a deal, which is most likely a peace deal. Now, it says he confirms this for seven years. So we don't know from what the scripture says for sure if it's a seven-year deal and he just agrees to it, or maybe it's a seven, eight, nine, ten-year deal, but after some point in time, he agrees to it. We don't know if he's the one who actually makes the deal or not. So there's a lot about this we don't know, but what we're pretty sure we do know is that this deal hasn't happened yet. Uh, the Europeans are still trying to come up with a peace deal in the Middle East. The Americans are trying to do it as well. And because of that, pretty sure the deal is not yet there. But somebody probably not a top-level person at the time, maybe a low-level person, maybe a mid-level person, somebody who's called a prince in Daniel 9, verses 26 and 27, is going to confirm this deal. And we know he's the same person because he gets mentioned again based on what he does later, and I'll talk about him later. But I wanted to start off saying before this person becomes the king, He's called a prince. Now, if you take your Bibles, we're going to go right into Daniel 11, verse 27. The place where I was referring to a moment or so ago. It says, Both these kings' hearts, again, that's the king of the north and the king of the south, hearts shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table. But it shall not prosper, for the end will still be at the appointed time. So we see this is a discussion that precedes the appointed time of the end. So it's leading into the appointed time of the end, this particular deal. And it has not yet happened. So this is why we know there's uh, some period of time, several years at least, before the Great Tribulation can begin. Now, certain Islamists have taught that terrorism is what they need to do to help eliminate the great Satan, as they call, as some of them call the United States. Uh, and the Bible warns in Leviticus 26, 16, as well as possibly Jeremiah 15, 8, of a time of terror coming. And it could be that part of the deal that the king of the north and the king of the south make has to do with inflicting terror upon the Anglo peoples. And that would be consistent, by the way, with a deal that's in Psalm 83, uh, verses uh, 3 through 8. We're not going to go there at this time, but I just want to mention that here. 
Now, somewhat oddly, something upsets this king of the north, in verse 28. So let's go here. It says, When returning to his land with great riches, his heart will be moved against the holy covenant, and he will do... The word damage is in italics, so we don't know exactly what he's going to do. And return to his land. So we see a time coming where we have this leader, and he's going to uh, return to his land, and he's going to be upset. Now, why is he going to be upset? There's a couple of different theories about this, but one of the reasons he's going to be upset is that perhaps God's faithful are going to be saying what he's doing. Understand what he's going to be doing is once he makes this deal with those in the, uh, in the King of the South, we in the Continuing Church of God at some point in time expect that we're going to learn about this deal especially the deal in Daniel 9, uh, 27. We're going to start telling people what this deal is. And this is going to upset him. Now, why would it upset him? Because this leader, this king of the north, is going to, according to biblical prophecy, destroy the United States and the Anglo nations. He's also later going to destroy the, uh, the king of the south, so the, the Arabic peoples. He's going to work with the Antichrist, uh, he's going to face war in, from uh, the Eurasian Union or Army that will form later. And he'll actually try to get people to fight against Jesus Christ. And we're going to tell people that. So he's not going to want people to do that, and that will, uh, will upset him. Now, continuing, if you go to verse 29, it says, At the appointed time he shall return and go toward the south. But it's not going to be like the former latter. So something's going to happen different. Verse 30. For ships from Cyprus, and that's got an asterisk in my Bible, which says uh, western lands, shall come against him, and therefore he shall be grieved and return in rage against the Holy Covenant and do damage. Now I mentioned before the word Cyprus appears to be a mistranslation. And it means western lands. So apparently what's going to be happening is a power from the west is going to come and stop him. This would be a western naval power. Now similarly in Numbers chapter 24 24 which according to Numbers 24 14 is for the latter times this western naval power troubles the descendants of Asher or Assyria which would be uh, modern Germany. And we in the Continuing Church of God intend to be warning people that this is what's going on. And this may be when the short work that God says he's going to accomplish in Romans 9.28 is going to be done by God's most faithful. Now I'd like to actually read a Catholic writing called The History of Antichrist from, from that on, on this particular passage. It says, It seems he, that's the king of the north, will probably be defeated by certain people of the Western nations. And that interpretation is correct. And that's what we in the Continuing Church of God teach. Who will give him a naval battle. Well, the Bible doesn't actually say it was a naval battle. And if you look at how the United States historically operates, historically what the United States does is they send in aircraft carriers and other show of naval force to try to intimidate, try to stop a war, so it doesn't say that there's going to be a war in terms of the scripture. I agree with this particular Catholic priest and writer that this is talking about a Western power who has a naval force. That's true, but I don't think it's going to be 
a battle. And then this Catholic writer says, but he'll soon recover from this defeat. Well, I think that the reason he's going to recover from the defeat is that the, re the defeat is only uh, an embarrassment. Okay? The U.S. perhaps uh, goes out there with this naval force says, look, we don't want you to do this. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't do whatever you want to do now. And the king of the north decides he's, doesn't, he's not going to do it yet. Not until a later time. Now, why would this Western power seem to be the United States? Well, first of all, the United States is west of Jerusalem. Second, as everybody knows, the United States is a major uh, naval power. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, the United States frequently has used uh, shows of naval force um, as a threat. Um, the United States does this in the Middle East frequently and has been doing it quite a bit, actually, in uh, 2013. Now, although Latin America is also west of Jerusalem, uh, the Latin Americans, there's not one country that has a significant naval force uh, that would be big enough to uh, scare off the king of the north at the time. Secondly, I believe that a lot of the Latin American nations are going to end up aligning with the king of the north, so it's extremely unlikely that they would put on a show of naval force against the king of the north. And even if all of them together got together in the... Uh, in South America, Latin America. Uh, I just, I don't see that they would want to do that. And historically, Latin America has not gone over with a naval force into uh, the Middle East to try to do anything. Fourthly, the Bible says that the king of the north is going to end up having problems later from powers from the north and the east. And since the north and eastern powers are mentioned later, and that would seem to include Russia, China, people in uh, south, south, southern and eastern Asia, it doesn't appear that this would be a naval force as well. But anyway, getting back to that verse, it's interesting that the king of the north doesn't seem to be getting angry with the power that stopped him. So, presuming it's the United States who put on a display of naval force and stops the king of the north from doing something, isn't it unusual that the Bible says he returns enraged against the Holy Covenant? You'd think he'd be enraged at the United States for sending in that naval force. But I think he'll be enraged because we in the Continuing Church of God are going to say, look at what he's doing. He is fulfilling the prophecies of Daniel chapter 11. We are looking at the King of the North uh, rising up right before our eyes, and he's not going to like it, and he, this is going to uh, uh, definitely upset him. Now, even the Catholic doctor and saint Jerome indirectly understood some of this. I'd like to read some more of Jerome's writings. Verses 27 to 30. And his heart shall be against the Holy Covenant. He shall succeed and return into his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and shall come to the south, but the latter time shall not be like the former. And the galleys, the navy, shall come upon him, he says. But these events were typically prefigured under Antiochus Epiphanes, so that this abominable king who persecuted God's people foreshadows the Antichrist who is to persecute the people of God. So Jerome says, okay, this happened under Antiochus Epiphanes, but this is talking about a time of persecution that's going to affect God's people. Now why have I quoted the Catholic Saint Jerome so often? Well, one of the reasons is because Catholics have prophecies that don't understand this at all. And when this happens in real life, they're going to point to those prophecies and overlook what Jerome warned them that this meant. 
And just because he was a Catholic writer doesn't mean he couldn't be right on certain things, and he was right on certain things. All right, so Jerome understood that this has to do with persecution on God's people. And why, however, would the king of the north persecute? As I said, because we'll be explaining what's going to happen. Now, Jesus clearly taught that persecution would hit God's people just before the Great Tribulation. If you take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 24, we're going to start reading in verse 7. So we're going to go to the New Testament, starting with uh, verse 7 of Matthew 24. Jesus said, And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And then you drop down another 11 verses and it talks about the start of the Great Tribulation. So we're seeing something that happens prior to the start of the Great Tribulation. Now you notice it says we're going to be hated by all nations. Well, Matthew 24, 14 says this gospel of the kingdom is going to preach to all the worlds of witness and then the end will come. So, well, we're going to be teaching the church of God that this leader that rises up is not the answer for humanity, but that God's kingdom is. This will not be a popular message for the world's governments, the world's leaders, because we're going to say that they're not following the way of God. This is consistent with what Jesus wrote in Matthew chapter uh, 24, excuse me, what he stated, that Matthew wrote, uh, in Matthew 24. It is also consistent with other passages in Daniel uh, chapter 11. So continuing, let's go back to Daniel chapter 11. And this time, before we go to uh, verse 31, let's go back a couple of pages. I want to go to Daniel 9.27. And read something there first. Daniel 9.27 says, Then he, now this is that prince I was telling you about, will confirm a covenant with many for one week, or seven years. But in the middle of the week, after about three and a half years, he will bring an end to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So we see in Daniel 9.27, there's somebody who's going to stop the daily sacrifices and have something to do with the abomination of desolation being set up. Well, go to Daniel 11, verse 31. And what do we see? And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then shall they take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. So we see that this person who is a prince later is this king of the north. He's going to the area of Jerusalem and stopping daily sacrifices. Now let me interject for a moment. For sacrifices to stop, they have to start. They haven't started yet. Now there are people over in Israel who are trying to start these sacrifices. There's a group called the Temple Institute. They've got a new training academy to try to train people in order to do these. And at some point in time, we will see the re-implementation of sacrifices, not just once, because the term daily is used here. So we're not just talking about if somebody sacrifices once a year at Passover. We're talking about something more frequent than that. But it's going to be stopped. Now, why would it be stopped? There's a lot of reasons, but this could be 
something that the king of the north will point to. He might say, look at you got these religious fanatics over there. Look at cruelty to animals to give him an excuse to come down in order to do what he wants to do. Now, people such as those of us in continuing Church of God are going to say, this is bad, this is dangerous. He's fulfilling Daniel chapter 11, verse 31 now. But if you take your Bibles, he'll probably say something that's mentioned in Thessalonians. If you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, this may be about the time when this particular passage is going to be fulfilled. Uh, and there may be more than one time for this, but if you go to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3, it says, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So, people such as myself, those of us in the continuing church of God, are going to say, look, this is what's happening. This leader is the king of the north. He is fulfilling biblical prophecy. He's going to say he's a man of peace. The book of Revelation says he's a man of war. Don't believe this. So that's when these things are going to be uh, more and more fulfilled. Now, go to Daniel chapter 12, verse 11 through 12. We learn something else about this. It says, And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, what we just referred to, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there should be 1,290 days. Blessed he who waits and comes to 1,335 days. So this is talking about the time there's going to be people who will be enduring this three and a half years. And this would be a time for church members to flee. Now we were over in Matthew 24 a few moments ago. I'd like to go back there. This time, pick it up in verse 15. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. It says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and I just read the three portions of uh, Daniel that seem to be talking about this, whosoever reads, let him understand. So Jesus wanted people to understand this. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the housetop not go down to anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no nor shall ever be. So Jesus is saying, okay, the sign that the Great Tribulation is going to begin is you're going to see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, which is the time when the sacrifices are done, which is consistent with the passages that I was reading in Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 12. Furthermore, let's go over the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 4. Here's something else about all this. Jeremiah chapter 4, and I'm going to read starting in verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 4, starting verse 5. It says, Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, 
Blow the trumpet in the land, cry, gather together, and say, Assemble yourselves, let us go into the fortified cities, set up the standard toward Zion, take refuge, do not delay. So God is telling his people they need to gather together, for I will bring disaster from the north and great destruction. Well, the disaster from the north is from the king of the north. Verse 7, The lion has come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of nations is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make your land desolate, and your cities shall be laid waste without inhabitant. So we're seeing that this is a type of desolation, the abomination of desolation. This person is going to bring in desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Again, he's mentioned in Jeremiah here. And by the way, Jeremiah, excuse me, not Jeremiah, yeah, Jeremiah's warning that this is going to come from the north, which I mentioned before, and in some of his other writings, the Catholic prophet, excuse me, Catholic prophet, the Catholic doctor in St. Jerome, and the Catholic uh, bishop and uh, St. Hippolytus basically tied in the king of Assyria as being this leader, which is consistent with what we in the Church of God teach. Now, I read that passage in Matthew chapter 24, 15 through 21, and it's talking about that people need to uh, pray that their flight not be on the Sabbath or in the winter. Well, this suggests or shows that Jesus expected that his people would be keeping the Sabbath prior to the Great Tribulation and after he died. That's what this is talking about. Now, oddly, various Protestant commentators have just said, oh, this has got to do with the Jews. But I don't think so. Uh, Jesus wouldn't be telling his people to pray that their flight not be in the Sabbath or the Holy Days. As far as this being a northern power, uh, yes, this northern power is going to go down to Judah, to Judea, and make it desolate. We're in Jeremiah, so let's go over a few more pages to Jeremiah chapter 10, this time starting in verse 22. Jeremiah 10, and we'll go to verse 22. Behold, the noise of the report has come, and a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate, a den of jackals. So we see that this king of the north is going to come down and also eliminate cities in Judah and Judea. And this particular leader is one we in the Canadian Church of God are going to identify. We will probably be repeatedly identifying him, which will upset him and eventually get us kicked off of various forms of uh, probably the internet or suspended or something. Now let's go back to Daniel chapter 11. And I'm going to read this passage starting in verse 32. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. So we see here we've got this leader. He's going to go talk to those who do wickedly against the covenant. Well, who would be people who did wickedly against the covenant? These would be apostates. These would be people who at one point in time claimed to be part of the Church of God, probably attended Church of God services, and are probably fairly familiar with Church of God doctrine. Uh, but the Bible says these are people who have done wickedly. And he's going to corrupt them with flattery. What kind of flattery? Well, actually, the kind of flattery you can find on the inter Internet right now. There are people out there that tell you, oh, if you've left the Church of God, this is good. You're now free. You don't have to uh, obey the law. You don't have to believe the Bible. You don't have to do this. You can do your life. There are people who are trying to corrupt people already. But this particular corruption here is specifically referred to from the king of the north. 
So he will probably talk to maybe former pastors in one or more of the churches of God, uh, maybe some who will, be, who will betray it at the time, uh, others who had been uh, part of the church of God in the past and had fallen away. That's who he's going to reach out to. He's going to uh, talk kindly to them. He's going to corrupt them with flattery. But says, but the people who know their God will be strong and carry out, it says great exploits, which is in italics, we're going to carry something out. Well, we're going to be strong. We need to be strongly preaching this message and identifying who the king of the north is, identifying what his plans are and how this is all going to turn out. Verse 33, And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. So we're supposed to instruct many. And that, I believe, will help fulfill Matthew 24, 14. And that's why around this time is when I think we may see the famine of the word that we were, I was referring to toward the beginning from uh, Amos. Yet, for days, and by the way, the word many is not in the original Hebrew, they shall fall by the sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. So we see persecution hitting during this time. Verse 34, when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many will join them by intrigue, and some of those of understanding will fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it's still for the appointed time. So there's still some more things happening, but this is about the time when, again, we may see things such as uh, the internet being stopped or our broadcast being stopped, the internet maybe will be pulled off of YouTube or whatever other thing we may be using at the time. Uh, maybe uh, we won't be doing radio interviews, but perhaps we will actually get a lot of media coverage for a while uh, before they kick us off to try to get a better idea of what's going on. And because of that, by the way, that's one of the reasons why we're attempting to get up on our websites more information about Christ's gospel of the kingdom in more languages so when people around the world do start to pay some additional attention to us, people will be able to have a better grasp, at least a lot of people, in their own native languages, what exactly the Church of God stands for and what we're warning is going to happen and what the real solution to the, the, mankind's problems are. Now, I mentioned Jerome a few times. Well, Jerome, referring to Daniel 11.32, said, it is my opinion this will take place in the time of Antichrist. And I agree. Uh, the time of the King of the North, uh, he'll be making a deal with the Antichrist power at this time. And that's, that's correct. Uh, by the way, the actions of the King of the North here in Daniel 11.32 uh, also seem to parallel Daniel 23, where it says he's going to act deceitfully. And as I said toward the beginning, I believe that the passages in Daniel 11, uh, 22 through 26, to a great degree, parallel some of the passages from Daniel 11, 27 through 45. Now, concerning these people in Daniel 11, 33 through 35, those of you who have a Church of God background might appreciate the fact that the late Herbert Armstrong considered these to be mainly Philadelphians. He also stated, quote, these are the people of God. He did that in a radio broadcast uh, called Falling Away, Part 2. And these, this is a time, I think, that this is around the time that people who are Philadelphians are going to have their power completely shattered that it talks about in Daniel uh, 12, verse 7. Now, while I believe that the King of the North is going to be primarily focused against the Philadelphians and against those in the continuing Church of God and those who support us, uh, 
doesn't mean others won't get attacked or bothered. Uh, he doesn't really care. He's going to want to help support this anti-pope power being uh, set up. And anybody who's against him, he's going to oppose. And those who speak more loudly against him, he's going to oppose the most. And it's my intent that we'll be speaking more loudly against him at the time. And that he is going to implement a persecution. Now, even the Catholic Jerome knew this was talking about Christian persecution. Here's what he wrote, verse 33. Let no one doubt that these things are going to happen under the Antichrist, when many shall resist his authority and flee away in various directions. Verses 34 and 5. Our writers, however, would have it understood that a small help will arise during the reign of Antichrist. For the saints shall gather together to resist him, and afterwards a great number of the learned shall fall. And this shall take place in order they may be refined. For true victory will be won at the coming of Christ. So again, Jerome is saying there's future fulfillment of this. And this may be a key verse to tie in with uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. So let's read Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. It says, At that time Daniel shall stand up, that great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was any nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book, which means the book of life. Now, what's interesting about this particular passage is it's not obvious in the English, but it is in the Hebrew. And according to the uh, Wycliffe commentary, he says this is the same event as the times in Daniel 11, verses 36 through 37. 36 through 45, excuse me, Daniel 11, 36, 35. But they actually slightly goofed because they should have cited verse 35. Because verse 35, the expression at that time, which is eth in uh, Hebrew, occurs in verse 35. And that's when I believe Michael, the archangel, will provide protection for God's people when they flee. And we talk about that a little bit in our uh, articles and our other information on the place of safety. Now, we're going to continue on with the king of the north. Now, there have been different kings of the north throughout history. But which one toward the time of the end? Well, let's read some more things about this particular one in the book of Daniel, chapter 11. This time, start with verse 36. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined. Verse 37. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses, and a God which his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Now some have suggested that the desire of women comment here, combined with the betrayal of the woman in Revelation 17, 16 by forces of the beast, suggests that the king of the north will perhaps use Marian apparitions. Those are these apparitions that people claim are Mary of the Bible. And this comes from uh, a writing by uh, a Bible scholar named G. H. Uh, Pember. He says, the expression desired women is placed between two nouns, 
indubitably refers to concrete gods. It therefore designates some individual deity which is especially sought by women. Maybe the goddess of uh, nature. She is Beltis or Melita of the Babylonians, Istar of the Assyrians, the Astarte of the Phoenicians, the Queen of Heaven mentioned by Jeremiah, Tanada of the Persians, the Isis of the Egyptians, the Shingmu, the Holy Mother of the Chinese, the Aphrodite of the Greeks, Artemis or Diana of the Ephesians, Venus of the Romans, and the Virgin Mary of the Eastern and Western Catholics. This is the goddess of whom we've so often heard our Lady of La Salette, our Lady of Lords, to whom it seems there are temples erected even in China. So this particular belief is that it's possible this desire of women has to do with how he's going to treat Marian apparitions. We'll see. But as far as this god of fortresses, who's the god of fortresses? Well, apparently this is a Roman god that the Catholics, basically and generally unwittingly, still honor. Why do I mention that? Because in imperial Rome, the emperor was responsible for both military and religious matters. And that's why part of the reason he had the title Pontificus Maximus, or Pontifex Maximus, a title, by the way, which after it was dropped was picked up by the Roman Catholic pontiffs. Now, I'd like to read an official Catholic pronouncement about the use of the war. This came from the Vatican. It says, Therefore, the power of the church, that is to say, the spiritual material sword, but the former is administered by the church, but the latter, excuse me, for the church, and the latter for, by the church. The former with the hands of the priests, the latter by the hands of kings and soldiers, but at the will and sufferance of the priest. However, one sword ought to be subordinate to the other, the temporal authority subjected to spiritual power. Therefore, we declare, we proclaim, we define that it is absolutely necessary for salvation that every human creature be subject to the Roman pontiff. Now, this comes from the Bull Unum Sanctum, 1302. Okay, what they're saying is that the people who have the military, the temporal powers, are supposed to be in subjection to the pontiff of Rome, which means that they believe they're in charge of war. And this is why I said this is the god of fortresses. But what about the god his fathers didn't know? Now this is kind of interesting. I've heard different explanations of this, but let me give you the one I think makes the most sense. If the final Antichrist power is going to temporarily claim to be Catholic, and by the way, I do think they will claim to be Roman Catholic, but I don't believe that neither the Antichrist nor the King of the North Beast is actually going to be Catholic. Oh, don't get me wrong, they'll probably baptize Catholic, confirm Catholic, and, and some of them may have had ordinations and that kind of thing. But I don't think they'll really believe it. So then how can that happen? Well, it can happen if you install a new order within Catholicism. You could get a God that they don't know. And I'd like to read a, a prophecy from a Catholic uh, St. Francis of Paul in the 15th century. And it says, this king of the north, uh, well, they don't call him the king of the north, they call him the great monarch. He shall be the founder of a new religious order, different from all others. He will divide it into three strata, near, namely military knights, solitary priests, and most pious hospitallers. This will be the last religious order in the church, and it will do more good for our holy religion than all other religious institutions. These devout men will wear on their breasts the cross, which becomes clear from various prophecies that they will be cross-bearers. He shall destroy all tyrants and heresies. There will be one fold, one shepherd. He will reign until the end of time. 
On the whole earth, there will be 12 kings, one emperor, and one pope. He's supposed to reign till the end of time. To the appointed time of the end. This is part of Satan's plan. He's got a plan to get people to accept when this leader rises up and he worships as a God they don't know. He can say, no, all I'm doing is establishing a new religious order. So I believe a new religious order under the taken name of Roman Catholicism will be the God's fathers did not know. And as you notice, it says this religion is supposed to be well, widely accepted. I want to read a couple other Catholic private prophecies. This one's from Josepha von Borg, who died in 1807. God will choose the descendants of Constantine, who's been tried by a long period of exile to rule over Europe. There's one particular individual I have in mind right now who's in uh, exile that could possibly be this individual. He will have the sign of the cross on his breast. Under him, the Catholic religion will spread as never before. That's their prophecy. There's another one. This is a nun. This is in the 1800s. Uh, her name is Anna Katrina Emmerich. Then I saw beasts flying into the sea, the enemy hurrying disorder. And citizens and peasants were marking their forehead with a red cross. And the demolishers were put to flight on all sides. What, what she's saying here is a time is going to come when there will be people who will be opposed to this new phony Catholic religion where you've got this leader and that those who wear this red cross are going to uh, go against the conspirators and the demolishers of the Catholic faith which are, she's meaning the true Christians and they're going to be put to flight they're going to flee and we know the Bible says that Jesus told his followers that when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet to flee we see that that happens after a time of persecution and Satan has this prophecy inspired out there, so when this happens, people are going to say, oh, this isn't the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. This isn't what Jesus said in Matthew 24. This isn't what Daniel wrote in uh, Daniel chapter 11. Oh, no, this is what our prophets, our private prophets that God supposedly inspired, have said. Therefore, you can't, don't rely on what the Bible says. Rely on our interpretation of this. Because they're going to say people who wear red crosses is a good thing. Now, interestingly, there's another Catholic prophecy. This is from Zachary the Armenian, and this was published in 1854. It says, This empire of the North is going to go to war against North America, and North America will fall and be conquered and brought into bondage. And this is going to be brought into bondage by the son of perdition, he says. And that is correct, uh, but it won't just be North America. Uh, so when I, and when I mention North America, I'm specifically referring to Canada and the United States. Mexico is going to be in a different situation here. But also we're going to see problems that are going to affect the other Anglo-descended, British-descended nations, such as the United Kingdom, uh, Australia, and New Zealand. The uh, Orthodox have an interesting prophecy that says this, this monarch is supposed to fight wars for three years. It says the emperor will spend three years waging wars. This is the message to Emperor Manuel II, who died in 1425. So both within the Roman Catholic world and Eastern Orthodox world, there are predictions about some leader rising up who's a warring leader, and they actually think they ought to be supporting this particular person. And I'd like to read this next one. This is from the Orthodox St. Andrew, 
who's called the fool for Christ in the fourth century, says this king will rule. Happiness will reign in the world as it did in days of Noah's. Noah. The entire world will fear, fear this king. He will pursue all persons of their Jewish religion out of Constantinople, and people will rejoice like in the time of Noah until the deluge came. Well, this Orthodox saint's confused. Uh, Jesus specifically said that uh, the days of Noah would be hit with people who weren't ready, and it was not something you're supposed to be looking forward to. And when he's talking about getting people to Jewish religion, please understand that those of us in the Church of God are considered to be practicing the Jewish religion according to various uh, Greco-Roman types. So that's what they're talking about. Now the other part, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this one's very interesting. This is from the anonymous paraphrasis, or the anonymous paraphrase. And these are Eastern Orthodox prophecies from the 10th century. Quote, the one true king is destined to become manifest or revealed by means of signs. The king will hear the voice and instruction of an angel appearing to him. He has foresight and is cognitive, cognitive of the text of prophecies. The name of the king is hidden among the nations. In that particular manner, the king's manifestations of public to the world will take place as follows. A star will appear for three days, and a herald speaking with a very loud voice the course of three days will summon and unveil the hope for one. There will be a visible sign in the sky, a nebulous firmament of the sun. Under that image will be suspended a cross, and the invisible herald from heaven with his thunderous voice will say to the people, Is this man agreeable to you? At that moment, everybody will be taken by fear and terror. And basically what this is saying is the king of the north, which is referred to as the great monarch in Catholic and Orthodox prophecy, is going to be announced by signs and wonders. Now we know in 2 Thessalonians uh, uh, 2, 9 through 10, it warns that this man, the man of sin is going to come with all signs and lying wonders. Yet the Eastern Orthodox, and some Catholic prophecies for that matter, point to signs and lying wonders being associated with this great monarch leader. So while a lot of Catholics don't believe that there's a future king of the north who's going to rise up, they do think a great monarch who they think is a good guy is going to rise up. And I believe this is part of Satan's plan of deception. And here's another Catholic prophecy from their St. Thomas a Becket from the 12th century. A knight shall come from the west. He shall capture Milan, Lombardy, and three crowns. He shall set sail to Cyprus, from Ghosti in the land of Jaffa, and reach Christ's grave where he will fight. Wars and wonders will befall till the people believe in Christ toward the end of the world. And a Catholic writer says, St. Thomas says, wars and wonders will precede a resurgence in the belief of Christ during the latter times. Well, not quite. What's going to happen is the Bible warns that there are going to be signs and lying wonders that are going to be associated with the false prophet and the beast power. Yet, Catholic writings are looking forward to this time. That's why I spent so much time reading from Jerome to tell Catholics, look, your own doctor of the church, your church says these things in Daniel 11 are going to be fulfilled in the future. And you need to be paying attention to the Bible and not these demon-inspired private prophets and prophecies because if you listen to them over the Bible, you're not going to understand what's going to happen. 
And here's another one. This is to the Discourse of a Holy Man, uh, Emperor Manuel Palaiogios, the 15th century. An angel will descend from heaven. He will crown the Emperor of Peace. Okay, that, that Emperor of Peace. Remember, we read Daniel 11. This person's coming in peacefully. He's going to use deceit. He's going to seem like he's a peaceful person. And the Bible is absolutely clear about the signs and lying wonders. If you take your Bible, go to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'd like to read that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. It says, The coming of the lawless one, that's the king of the north, is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So the Bible clearly warns that the, when this king of the north comes, this is with signs and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So there are people who don't really have the love of the truth, so they'll accept what seems reasonable to them at the time, over what the Bible actually teaches. For that reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but who have pleasure in unrighteousness. And there, again, there are signs and lying wonders associated with this leader rising up. Now you say, wait a second, how can somebody pretending to be Catholic rise up? Because isn't the Catholic Church kind of in disfavor? Because they've had all these sex scandals, pedophilia scandals, and they've had a history of problems. Well, it turns out the Catholics have a prophecy on that one, too. Their vulnerable, their venerable Holzhauser in the 17th century said, quote, The great monarch will come when the Latin church is desolated, humiliated, and afflicted with many heresies. And I think that's consistent with that. Now here's another part that's, that's kind of interesting. It says, this is from the Oracle of Baalbek, which is from the Eastern Orthodox faith. The name of the, this king is concealed among the nations. His name is similar to the last day, and it's written from the 18th letter. And when he receives his empire, his name will be Anastasius, or Anastosios. And I'll, the interpretation of this is, the Greek name Anastosios translates as the one who is connected with the resurrection. I believe we have again a prophetic mention of the great monarch. Well, what do you mean a resurrection? Well, if you look in the Bible, you don't have to go there, but in Revelation chapter 13, it talks about the deadly wound was healed of the beast. And we're going to see a resurrection of the so-called Holy Roman Empire. And that seems to be consistent with, with those prophecies that they have in the Eastern Orthodox uh, faith. Um, I'd like to briefly discuss Satan's plan in them for a moment. As I've said before, the Bible teaches about the King of the North. And I'm going to say some things that come from Catholic prophecies which are consistent with biblical prophecies about the King of the North. One, he'll have Greco-Roman excuse me, Greco, excuse me, not Greco, I'll say it again. He will have Franco-German ancestry. And that seems consistent with Isaiah 10, 5 through 11. Again, the first part I'm reading is from Catholic prophecy. He shall have, be considered a powerful beast with a head like a lion and possibly come from the sea. That's consistent with Revelation 13, 1 through 2. He'll be announced with signs and wonders. I mentioned 2 Thessalonians, but you can also see similar things in Revelation 13, 13. And Jesus warned about that in Matthew 24, 24. He'll understand sinister or mysterious things. And we see that from Daniel 8, 23. He'll be a smooth talker. We see that from Daniel 11, 23 through 24. 
He'll make changes probably affecting religion. Uh, we see that in Daniel 7. I won't read all the scriptural passages here right now. If you want all of those that go along with the, these prophecies, we have an article about uh, who is the king of the north at www.cogwriter.com. That's www.cogwriter.com. So all the scriptures are, are there. And some of the other prophecies that I didn't go through I'll, will also would also be there. He and his objectives will be supported by a harlot virgin that they're going to misidentify as, as Jesus' mother Mary. And that's consistent with certain biblical prophecies, including those in Isaiah 47 as well as Nahum 3, verses 4 through 5. He's supposed to rise up unexpectedly. He's supposed to be bringing peace. He's supposed to gain power after their civil unrest or riots. Uh, that's consistent with what we talked about in Daniel 13. He's supposed to uproot republics, and that's consistent with what Daniel, not Daniel, Revelation 17, 12 through 13 say. We mentioned the new religious order. He's supposed to endorse idols and icons. His supporters are going to have some kind of a marker image like a cross. Uh, he's going to go for an ecumenical version of Catholicism. He is supposed to reign with a certain pope for about four years. And remember, I was reading about the 1,335 days and 1,290 days, that kind of time frame. He's going to establish himself militarily in Jerusalem toward the beginning of his reign, and I read Daniel 11:31 to you before on that. Uh, mentioned about it being the leader of a resurrected uh, Holy Roman Empire. He's supposed to establish New Babylon. Yes, Catholic prophecies, Orthodox prophecies suggest that New Babylon is a good thing. But our Bibles don't say that, especially in Jeremiah 50, verse 42, and Revelation 18. He's going to help the city of seven hills reign, according to Orthodox and Catholic prophecy. He will eliminate the Anglo peoples, the English-speaking peoples, which have been strong, and that's consistent with the, uh, Daniel 11:39 that we're going to get to. He's supposed to spread his foreign religion around the world, annihilate heretics and unbelievers. During this time, Protestantism is supposed to cease. He's supposed to divide up the lands of the English peoples. He and his supporters will be opposed to those who keep the Sabbath. Uh, the Anglo people are supposed to betray another during his reign. The world will prosper under his system for a while. He'll, he'll eliminate the Muslims. He'll amass gold. And he's going to have happiness reign like the day of Noah. He's going to die in or new Jerusalem. His kingdom's going to be destroyed by a battle associated with Armageddon. And an Antichrist, who we actually call Jesus, the one we call Jesus, actually, they're going to call the Antichrist, according to the prophecy, comes after his reign, and a great monarch is going to oppose him. So all these things I've said are Catholic prophecies that look forward to the time that this leader rises up. But the Bible warns against all these same things. And those of the Greco-Roman religions are going to rely on those prophecies. They're not going to believe the message that we, the continuing Church of God, are going to be putting forth at the time. They think that their leader, the king of the well, he's a prince in their view, a northern leader, a king of a revived Holy Roman Empire, the great monarch as they call him, they think he is going to bring peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and extend their version of Christianity around the world. And they say that's a good thing. But they're going to be overlooking what the Bible actually teaches. I clearly believe that this is part of Satan's plan. Now in 2 Corinthians 2.11 the Apostle Paul says we're not supposed to be ignorant of Satan's devices. Jesus warned about false prophets that would arise and uh, have signs and wonders. A lot of these Catholic private prophets have had stig stigmatics, or the so-called marks of Christ, 
crucifixion on their body. Uh, some have uh, lived without food and water only on the Eucharistic host for a time. Uh, they've had other signs and wonders associated with them. Some are what they call incorruptibles. That means their flesh didn't decay, or not decay as much as they normally would think of, after they die. These are signs and lying wonders that a lot of Catholics believe confirm the validity of these private prophecies. Not knowing it, they go contrary to the Bible. These are mirror images of Scripture. They're sort of like Scripture, but they're not. They're, if you rely on those, and people are going to rely on those, you will be deceived. That's why we need to all know about the rise of this future king of the north. All right, continuing to Daniel chapter 11, this time in verse 39. Now I could probably give a whole sermon on Daniel 11 verse 39, but I'm not going to do that now. But Daniel 11 verse 39 says, Thus he, the king of the north, shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. Now, there's a couple of points I want to make here. First of all, we see that this king is going to go against the strongest fortresses. Well, Catholic prophecy says the king of the north, excuse me, well, one we call the king of the north, one they call the great monarch is going to eliminate the Anglo peoples and destroy the capital of the world, which in a sense could be a reference in a, one respect to the United States of America. When you read this prophecy though, it, sees, it says he's going to go against the strongest fortresses. Well, who has the strongest fortresses? Who's got the strongest military in the world today? Well, that would be the United States of America. If this is a prophecy for this time, the nation of the strongest fortresses is United States of America. And about dividing the, the land for gain, Catholic prophecy says that the Anglo lands are going to be divided. That's consistent with those prophecies, and people are going to believe those. One of the reasons they're going to believe those is that the Catholic translation of Daniel 11, verse 39, doesn't sound anything like this. Now, I went and I've looked at other translations from other uh, translators of this particular passage. And those translators uh, are consistent that what this means is what I'm saying it means. That is that the king of the north is going against the strongest fortresses. It's not just one translation that has this. And it's the United States who's got the strongest fortresses. Now, but this would also include the allies, the military allies of the United States, and the military allies of the United States are Britain, Canada, and the Anglo peoples. As a matter of fact, those are the only nations that were specifically exempted by the United States NSA for certain espionage because they're considered friendly to us and that, that there was really no threat from them. Now, in Isaiah chapter 17, verse 3, it says the fortresses, or the fortress also will cease from Ephraim. But unlike Manasseh, which represents the United States, Ephraim, which represents Britain and the British-descended nations, they don't have the strongest fortresses. Now, a lot of people don't think this could happen to the United States. If you want to, you can go to Amos chapter 9, verse 10. I'm going to read it here. But it can't be referring to the Europeans, because they're going to support the king of the north. It can't be referring to the Russians or the Chinese or the other Asians, because they don't get involved until uh, verse 44. So 
you've got to look at the world the way it is. It's not going to be referring to the king of the south because we're going to get to him and he and his people get knocked out in the next few verses. So it can only be referring to a strong nation at the time of the end, which right now would be the United States. Now in Amos 9 verse 10 it says, All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say, The calamity shall not overtake nor confront us. People have faith that the United States is going to make it. She ask themselves, why? Why, since the Bible talks about the ends of the king of the north, uh, south, and east, the north gets, uh, king of the south goes in Daniel 11, verse 40. Uh, king of the north uh, end ends up in uh, verses 44-45. And the king of the east in Revelation 16, verse 12. If there is a king of the west, by the way, it would be the United States. Because the United States is gone by verse 39. There are a variety of scholars who believe that the Syrian, some Assyrians have gone into the area of Europe. Now, a lot of modern scholars don't agree with that, but, but some do. And I'd like to talk about some additional scriptural support about this. Because the Bible talks about what's going to end up happening to those who ended up destroying the power like the United States. If you go to Zephaniah chapter 2. Zephaniah chapter 2. Let's read from here. Starting verse 13. It says, God's going to stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. And make Nineveh a desolation as dry as a wilderness. Herds shall lie down in her midst. Desolation shall be at the threshold. Verse 15, this is the rejoicing city that dwelt securely. It said in her heart, I am it, and there's none besides me. How she's become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down. Everyone who passes by her cell hiss and shake her fist. Well, that's what the, uh, the, the harlot woman basically says in Revelation 17 and 18. So we're seeing a tie between this harlot woman and Assyria, again, for the time, time of the end. And God says he's going to uh, punish, punish Babylon and Assyria. And you can read also about that in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 13. But uh, continuing down here, I'd like to read something that 1948, the late Herbert Armstrong wrote in the magazine, Plain Truth, said, Thus, once this empire is revived in Europe, the newborn military power will without warning destroy American and British cities overnight with atomic bombs, conquering their people, taking the survivors to Europe as their slaves. Now, God, thousands of years ago, about 25, 2600 years ago, inspired Habakkuk to write the following. So if you go to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, I'd like to read something from it. It says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time that the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Woe to him who increases what is not his, how long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges. Will not your creditors rise against you suddenly? Will not they who awaken oppress you, and you will become their booty? Now, interestingly, Habakkuk uses this appointed time in the term end, just like Daniel chapter 11 does. So it's the same kind of thing. Notice it happens suddenly, which is what Herbert Armstrong says. As far as uh, loading up pledges, the United States has got more debt than any country ever has in history. It's the greatest uh, debtor nation of all time. And on a per capita basis, the UK has a fair amount of debt. 
So we're talking about the United States and its English-speaking allies. This is eventually is going to happen to them. Uh, as far as why, there are a lot of reasons for that. But briefly, from Luke uh, 12, 48, the Bible teaches from everyone whose much is given, much will be required. And countries such as the United States now are boasting in their ignorance and their arrogance about uh, things that they're endorsing, such as homosexual marriage and homosexual rights and abortion and those kind of things. And God warns about that in James 4, verses 16 through 17. But now you who boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. And in Isaiah chapter 10, verses 5 through 6, the Bible teaches, O Assyrian, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my indignation. I will send him against a hypocritical nation. Now that last one I was reading from the old King James. And the United States is a hypocritical nation and is going to puni be punished because of that. There are lots of Catholic prophecies about the great monarch, and I'm looking at those here, and I'm going through those because if you want to read more about them, you can. And again, I may have a sermon in the future, some point in time, specifically on the great monarch. But until that time, I wanted you all to understand that I believe Satan's plan is partially died out in these Catholic prophecies to turn people away from God so they will not pay attention toward the time of the end. Now getting back to Daniel chapter 11, now verse 40. Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. And we'll also see how Catholic prophecy ties into this one. It says, At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. He shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand. Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Oman. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over the precious things of Egypt. Also the, the Libyans and Ethiopians, which means Cushites, shall follow at his heels. So you'll see that the king of the north is going to amass gold. And I believe that once the United States dollar fully collapses, the United States is done, that people may decide that they won't trust the currency that does not have gold backing. Now the other thing that's interesting about that particular prophecy in terms of the whole gold part is that a few years ago gold was discovered in Egypt. It was an old gold mine. They found it's got a lot of it and if uh, Egypt gets its act fully together it's supposed to be, become a big money maker for Egypt. Highly significant. So we're seeing prophecy fulfilled before our eyes right now because the fact is the Bible said the king of the north would invade king of the south and get the gold in Egypt. And the reality is there actually is a lot of gold in Egypt. Without going through all of this, let me say that there are several orthodox prophecies that said the, the great monarch is going to amass gold. But there are also some Catholic prophecies that warn that the Antichrist will end up with gold and give it to people. And it wouldn't surprise me if the false prophet starts giving away some of the wealth of the Catholic Church uh, prior to the, uh, this uh, prophecy in Daniel 11, 40-43 uh, taking place. Uh, I think some Catholics have it a little bit right that the, that the Antichrist will certainly use worldly bait to try to get people on their side. Now, another Catholic prophecy I'd like to read is from somebody named Rudolf Deckner, and he died in 1675. Quote, A great prince of the north with the most powerful army will traverse all Europe, 
uproot all republics, exterminate all rebels. His sword, moved by divine power, will most valiantly defend the Church of Jesus Christ. He will combat on the behalf of the true faith. So this is a military person who's going around killing people. They're acting like this is good. And shall subdue to his dominion the Mahatman or the Muslim Empire. A new pastor of the Universal Church will come from the shore through a celestial prodigy, in other words, through miracles, and simplicity of heart adorned with the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Peace will come to the world. What they've now said is that the great Prince of the North is going to come. He's going to go around Europe. He's going to get rid of all the republics, which happens because you read Revelation 17, 12 through 13, you see that there's a reorganization in Europe. We have kings, and these kings are going to turn their power over to the king of the north, this beast. So that will be there. He's going to exterminate rebels, which would also uh, most likely include the United States. And then he's going to end up getting the Muslims, which is what the Bible warns is going to happen to people who are in the Muslim lands, at least. Uh, so we see that happening. Instead of believing what it says in Daniel 11, 40-43, I'm afraid that people who support the king of the north are going to say he's the great monarch, he's fulfilling this prophecy. And it's amazing how closely, closely, Catholic prophecies mirror or just slightly off of biblical ones. There are other prophecies that say that there's going to be an ecumenical conference and that we're going to see everybody follow that religion. We know in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verses 4 and 8, the whole world's going to worship the beast. And I believe that will happen because of most likely some type of ecumenical conference. And that's, again, consistent with biblical prophecy, Catholic prophecy, and Eastern Orthodox prophecy. And because of these non-biblical prophecies, as well as misunderstanding biblical prophecy, many will be deceived by the king of the north. Now, continuing over, Daniel 11, now we're going to go to verse 44. The Bible is certain that this king of the north is going to be eventually destroyed. Now let's see who destroys them. Verse 44. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. He shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. Well, what's east or north of Europe? Well, the only power, military power, that's north of Europe that you would think Europe might have to be concerned about is Russia and Russian allies. And what's east? Well, Russia, by the way, is the furthest east of all countries in a sense. If you look how far it extends out just to the other side of where Alaska is. Uh, as well as China, uh, the eastern Asian countries. So he's going to be concerned about that. Verse 45, And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. So we see that the king of the north is not a Russian power, but will be involved in destroying that particular king. Now what's going to happen to him? Take your Bibles and go to the book of Revelation chapter 19. This leader, the king of the north, is also the one called the beast. He's the final beast power. He's a beast of the sea. And with him works the false prophet who is the Antichrist. One of the reasons people don't understand this, again, is they're going to think that the Antichrist is the... Is the beast or the king of the north, and they'll have that wrong. But notice what's going to happen to him. Verse 20, Daniel chapter 19. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. 
Those two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So while a lot of Catholics think this great monarch is a great thing, the Bible says, no, he's not, and this is what's going to happen to him. I, as one who grew up Roman Catholic, I used to wonder why Catholics didn't understand a lot of the book of Revelation. But now, because of their private prophecies, I do understand that. I do understand that they're going to rely on that. I also, when I've done additional research, learned that Catholics rely an awful lot on apparitions that claim to be Mary, uh, Eucharistic miracles, as they call them, uh, incorruptible bodies of their saints, they say, as proof that they're right. And those are the signs and wonders they're going to rely on above the Bible. We're supposed to obey God rather than men. And we in the uh, continuing church of God are going to continue to tell people, you need to rely on what the Bible says, what it really says, because this is going to happen. Now as far as learning about this a little bit, in Daniel chapter 12, uh, verse 9 and 10, God told Daniel that some of the stuff would not be understood until the time of the end. God tells Daniel, or God has Daniel told, uh, more appropriately way to say this, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Since the Bible is talking about this being for the end times, and the wise will understand, I've been trying to go through verse by verse about what the Bible tells, talks about with the king of the north. There is a future king of the north who's going to rise up. He will probably be the one that the Catholics are going to think is a great monarch or going to claim is a great monarch. Do not be confused by Satan's plan. Do not rely on Catholic prophecies claiming that this is their monarch, a great monarch, who's going to uh, result in peace on earth. He's not. The Bible wars against him. They say he's got sinister schemes. says he will be deceitful. He'll be a man of war. He's not a man of peace. He's not the man God would endorse. Do not fall for the future king of the north. And right now, as we speak, I believe he's alive and the future king of the north is slowly starting to rise up.